Hey, it's Mark. Thanks for joining us. This week's podcast promises to be a terrific show. MMNM senior reporter Lesha Bushek had so much fun with the debut of her policy segment last week that she's back to do it again. Lesha, what you got for us this week? Hi, Mark. Glad to be back. This week, it's all about mental health. First, a federal panel of medical experts recommended that all U.S. adults under the age of 65 should be screened for anxiety. Next, the mental health care workforce shortage and a new draft of legislation introduced by the Senate Finance Committee last week that's considered a significant step to addressing it at the federal level. And for my segment, I'll speak with Ben Osborne, Director of Insights at Global Brand Strategy, Design and Experience Firm Siegel and Gale, to take us through the findings of SNG's study documenting the most profound pandemic era changes among healthcare brands globally and how these very traditional industries are finally becoming a little more consumer friendly. I'm Mark Iskowitz, Editor-at-Large, and welcome to the MMM Podcast, medical marketing media's show about healthcare marketing writ large. First up, we're speaking with Ben Osborne, and what Ben's going to do is sum up the story for healthcare brands through the lens of the chief marketing officer. There hadn't been a definitive study documenting the pandemic's impact on healthcare brands globally. SNG took up that challenge, and they did so by surveying 11 international CMOs and brand leaders in B2B and B2C healthcare, not only about the pandemic's impact on the industry, but about which changes companies made to adapt and which ones would stick now that the entire sector is no longer singularly focused on that common goal of treating COVID and facilitating testing and providing vaccines. Ben, how are you? And uh, thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Mark. Lovely to be here. Absolutely. Why don't you just kind of uh, tell us a little bit about the study? No, absolutely. Obviously, we've just come out of a of a very strange time. More strange times to come, um, sadly. But a once in a generation experience, and something which we were very aware of, and we kind of, to your point earlier, we we were very aware as well that no one was really telling a story, especially for the industry that was quite central to everyone's experience. You know, what we found is that uncertainty can be very democratizing for brands. It is something which changes um, our experiences. It changes our expectations. It level sets, but it also means that everyone is having that, that same experience, same expectations, perceptions are changing. And in branding, we talk a lot about promises made and promises kept. That's kind of a central tenet about what a brand is and what a brand delivers. And that promise and the dynamics around it has changed. And those brands that are kind of trying to hold on to the old ways and, and, and are not adapting or being left behind, you have to recognize that or the risk is that you become quite irrelevant. So, so we spoke to these CMOs and really it was, as you said, it's about hearing from them, their experiences of a very volatile few years, but also about the lessons they'd learned and the things that they were going to hold on to, the strategies and tactics that almost become the new normal for them. Um, again, it feels weird to say the word new normal, a year after COVID. But again, the, the things which they were adopting, the things which they were actually going to run with, and were actually now the new um, ways to succeed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so the study is called In Our Words. Uh, it happens to be the third installment where you're talking to chief marketing officers and brand leaders. I think the first two studies are from other industries. Uh, but for this one, you had CMOs from pharma companies ranging from GSK and Amgen to Daiichi Sankyo, Novartis and Pfizer. Certainly, you know, big companies that our audience is familiar with. So give, give us some insights on what has changed in the industry from their perspective. Absolutely. And, and again, really rich, really interesting conversations with these, these CMOs who've 
again, seen a lot of different things over their time. And the thing which was kind of the most, um, let's say, central theme through everything we learnt was the importance of empathy, of simplicity and clarity as almost being paramount to success. And we call ourselves a simplicity company. Simplicity has been our philosophy, our modus operandi, our kind of belief since the 60s has been something which has kind of run very true. But especially with COVID, it kind of, again, really, really rings true because obviously COVID was a weird time where essentially a lot of us had a lot more time on our hands than usual. But at the same time, um, human beings, you know, we live in a world where time is short, time is finite. You know, you only have so many seconds on this planet. So essentially at the very heart, simplicity is kind of a universal truth. You have to make it easy for the stakeholders who are engaging with you to be recognized as valuable. And again, to kind of deliver on that empathy. And so what we saw a lot is about, I guess, the importance of the human approach to branding, the human approach to kind of connecting um, with your stakeholders one-on-one on, in a, a way that is easy and simple to do so. But also, obviously, a big thing coming out of that is the importance of technology to deliver that. So we heard a lot about, I guess, this universal truth of a more human, empathetic relationship as something which was a lesson learned and something which is quite paramount to succeeding. But the role of technology was something which was accepted, but still being determined. You know, a big focus, I think, for the sector is about investing where you are going to deliver simplicity, where you are going to deliver ease. And there's a question for CMOs about whether that should be, I guess, in the actual interfaces, the actual UX, or should it be in data? Because again, you know, obviously data-centric world, we've been living in that for a long time, but it feels like the importance of data. And again, I'm, I'm a data guy. I love insights. I love research. But again, it's something which is almost um, uh, untethered right now. People can see the potential, but it, it is unsure right now, I guess, about just how important that is. But from my perspective, I think it is going to be pretty central. And the CMOs, I think, are all very much with an eye in this space, let's say. Sure, sure. And when you talk about the importance of empathy, you're talking about the humanization of healthcare. And one of the big points that you make is that brands shifted the tonality of their communications. And that was one of the most prominent messages that you heard. And, you know, with, with them moving more toward a softer, more human centric kind of approach and focusing on the emotional impact of our lives. And pharma, as you also point out, is often working off the assumption that the human benefit of their work is simply understood without having to state it plainly uh, and kind of assuming that people, you know, get it. But here they were kind of stating that in a more direct way Again, getting back to your point about simplicity and being direct. Do you see that that gap between pharma kind of assuming that understanding is there when it's not really there has kind of closed or is there still room to go there to close that communication gap? This is a really interesting question. I, I think, if you, you know, five years ago, companies like Pfizer were just known as the, the name behind a specific drug. And I think that was... That was great. We were, we were all quite happy with that. And consumers have had to get closer to these brands just as an imperative in terms of navigating some of the challenges we've had. But we've also, I guess, chosen to get closer and we've got a better understanding of not just, let's say, what, what Pfizer does, but how they do it and critically why they do it. And, and you talk, we talk a lot about brand purpose um, in the world of branding. And that's something which we have, again, been talking about for a long time at, at Siegel and Gale. But I think it's more relevant than ever for healthcare brands to start to close that gap. So I, I don't think it's kind of mission accomplished. I think a lot of healthcare brands 
still have a mission statement or a purpose which risks being empty words written to fill space or, or put on the wall to kind of give employees a sense of, of what you're trying to do. But companies really have to live that purpose to maintain credibility. And they have to have a purpose that doesn't just, let's say, galvanize and inspire your employees, but also these consumers, these stakeholders. So they've got closer. They're looking um, at, at these companies in a way that they've never looked at it before. And I think the gaps, some companies do a really good job at closing it. Some definitely do not. But I think there's still this challenge about really finding something which connects with all of these different stakeholders internally and externally. And we, we heard this from Pfizer. We heard this from Electa, GSK, and a few others. It was, again, a quite a central universal theme across everything. So, so the gap is definitely closed. And I think that was an imperative of how people have navigated the recent world we've lived in. But I think there's still a challenge about getting these words to really connect with people. And if you imagine, Siegel and Gale, we, we, we really are deep in the words as well as deep in the numbers. We really do um, work very hard to come up with positioning statements, purpose statements, which really connect with people. But I think there's still that challenge. And again, as the insights guy, we have to listen. We have to listen to consumers. And it's obviously constantly changing those expectations, both in terms of, I guess, the UX, the experience, the simplicity we talked about now, but also about their own priorities. And I think that's something which we've all learned is that there's lots and lots of individuals with lots and lots of different priorities and finding those words which bring everyone together, inspire everyone, and can navigate that relationship into the future is difficult. And, and it does take the work. And uh, I think there's, there's still a lot of work just to kind of make sure that gap is closed. And, and if you ask me, is, is there a world where there is no gap? I would probably say no, because obviously brands are not stagnant. You're always changing. And I think that gap is going to grow and then it's going to shrink and then it's going to grow. But I think the key thing from speaking to the CMOs is just how much effort and attention is, is on that relationship and on that gap and on the importance of getting as close as possible uh, to the consumer and, and obviously, again, to employees as well to kind of make that relationship meaningful. Sure. So there's still a need for wordsmiths in the world. That, that's a good thing. Um, exactly. <laughs> you talked about, you know, the importance of uh, focusing on the UX, the user experience. And I think, you know, the, one of the big themes that emerged in, in the study was care coming out of the hospital, people being more comfortable with telehealth and, and remote care and being more willing to enter the digital ecosystem of the large academic medical center, as we call it here in the States, the trusts, you know, in the UK. Mm -hmm. um, and once you're in a digital ecosystem, I think you're, you're, it's, it's safe to say that care is facilitated. You know, you can more easily converse with your doctor over email. You can schedule things. You can view your, your diagnostic results, et cetera. Um, that seems to be a change that has a good potential to, to be sustained. Talk about th that theme. You know, what will be transient versus what will be sustained going forward? Yeah, again, I think from the conversations that we've had, a lot of the changes, even though some of them were necessity and some of them were, let's say, pushed further than, than perhaps people were comfortable to think about before, I think most people recognize, or most of the, the audiences we spoke to, the CMO panel we spoke to, 
recognized that it was a positive movement. And so ultimately, I think most of the leaders we spoke to were looking to sustain and, and, and invest further in most of the avenues that we got to. I think if anything, there was some fear of, um, I guess, naturally slipping back um, because essentially with the technology, with the apps, with the ecosystem we're talking about there, the importance of, I guess, informing and engaging the audience, delivering those individualized healthcare experiences, getting the trust um, in terms of with the consumer that they are providing data in a way that is going to add to that experience. I guess there's still the risk that companies might slip back into their old ways where there's less willingness to educate and empower. Because I think that's the thing is right now to sustain the investment, to sustain the progress we've made, you have to maintain that balance, that balance of, let's say, empowerment or imbalance of uh, uh, the relationship with the stakeholders. And I think there was some fear that actually you would naturally slip to a more paternalistic, let's say, relationship where you can still deliver individualized healthcare experiences, but the consumer isn't as active in that. So I think there was a lot and lot of focus, I guess, on continuing investment in the technology, continuing investment in the way that brands are more human and empathetic in terms of the way they, they communicate and act. But there's a risk, I think, that there's going to be less appetite to maintain the, let's say, democratization that we saw. And I think that's the thing which would be quite sad because, again, as a, as a branding guy, obviously it's easier for brands to have a, a, a one-way relationship in terms of the way you communicate, but we're definitely not in that world. We are in the third third age of branding where it is about experience. It is about two-way communication. Uh, we obviously, I'm sure your audience have heard this a hundred times before, but I feel like there is the fear that uh, this specific sector could go backwards just as easy as it has gone forward so so dramatically. But again, I, I think the other thing, just to kind of go full circle to what I said earlier in terms of data, data is still such an unknown, right? I think everyone knows that data is absolutely critical to sustaining and maintaining and developing further the things which are which have come out of the recent um, experiences. But there again is the threshold where the consumer isn't as happy giving away their privacy. And at the moment, I think the trust has obviously been earned, but trust, as we know, can easily be lost. All, all it takes is, let's say, one bad bit of PR or one bad bit of the media. And this industry, especially healthcare and pharmaceuticals, have had some very hard times with the media in the past. I guess that's the risk. And as soon as that balance shifts of trust, as well as the balance of empowerment, appetite to share data could easily change. And again, we could we could go backwards. So lots of forward momentum, I guess, some level of um, caution from my own uh, my own perspective, and especially from the conversations we've heard from CMOs. There's that echoed across across all the voices. Yeah, that's a nice uh, note to end on. Ben, this has been a fascinating conversation. Thanks so much for joining me. No, thank you so much, Mark, and thanks to your audience. Absolutely. Health Policy Update with Lesha Bouchak. Last week, a panel appointed by the Department of Health and Human Services, known as the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, released recommendations that doctors should screen all adult patients for anxiety. So this is a sign that the federal government is recognizing a mental health problem that's been significantly exacerbated during the pandemic. As we know, anxiety and depression rates have risen significantly during covid and globally, those rates rose by 25% during the pandemic's first year. 
But here's the issue. Even if more people are screened for anxiety, there may not be enough psychiatrists and therapists to meet the increased need. Which leads me to my next topic, the mental health care workforce shortage and recent efforts by policymakers to address it. In 55% of U.S. counties, there's not a single practicing psychiatrist. And then 134 million people live in what's referred to as a mental health professional shortage area. That's Jennifer Snow, National Director of Government Relations and Policy at the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or NAMI. So last week, the Senate Finance Committee released a new draft of bipartisan legislation that would aim to boost the number of mental health care providers through a few different provisions. And to get a little background on the issue, I spoke with Raina Taylor, Senior Vice President of Public Policy at the National Council for Wellbeing. Taylor noted that the increased demand for mental health services during the pandemic, it's what really kind of driven this shortage. Burnout and the stress among providers has led to difficulties in recruiting and retention. We saw that, you know, 43% of adults who said they needed mental health or substance care in the past year did not receive that care. And the majority of those adults who got mental health or substance care had difficulties getting it or finding a place to access care. We represent over 3,100 mental health and substance use community-based organizations across our nation and the over 10 million people they serve, nearly all, meaning 97% of the organizations, said it was difficult to recruit employees. And nearly three quarters of our organizations said it was difficult to retain them, meaning if that's not the definition of a crisis in terms of our mental health and substance use workforce, I don't know what is. The proposed legislation would, starting in 2024, allow Medicare Part B to cover family and marriage therapists, as well as mental health counselors. And that's fairly significant because currently those providers can't bill Medicare for their services. So they either have to take a loss on that or wait for the denial and try to bill Medicaid in that particular state. This would immediately increase the um, the workforce that could bill to Medicare and therefore be able to to provide services for more people in the community. And whoever is trying to kind of come into the field know that they have a secure form of reimbursement through the Medicare program. The proposed legislation would also support 400 new Medicare-funded residency slots per year for psychiatrists and expand Medicare's bonus program to psychologists, clinical social workers, and other mental health counselors who practice in shortage areas. So basically, they'd be infusing more money into providers in rural counties, for example, um, where there's a lot of shortages as sort of an incentive. The legislation is going to go through several more drafts. So we're sort of waiting to see what happens on that front. But the mental health experts I spoke with noted that this was a significant step forward to acknowledge the problem. I think that what we are seeing now is a opportunity for both Congress and the administration to show that they are all in in making a change across our nation and that this package, which will hopefully come to fruition from the Senate Finance Committee, shows one more time that uh, that our Congress and our administration has come together to make change. I'm Lesha Bouchak, senior reporter at MMM. 
That's it for this week. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up. Better yet, subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice and help others discover the show. The MMNM Podcast is produced by Bill Fitzpatrick, Deborah Stahl, Bradley Weems, and Gordon Failer. Our theme music is by Sizzy M. Sohn. We're out every week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.